Hello everyone and welcome to the Resin Report monthly edition from Plastics Today. My name is Norbert Sparrow and I'm editor of Plastics Today. My guest on today's podcast is Emily Friedman, Recycled Plastics Senior Editor at business intelligence firm ICIS. She spoke with me about polyethylene and polypropylene pricing trends over the past month as well as what we might see in May. And given her specialization at ICIS, I also asked her to share some insights on the pricing and availability of recycled resins. And we also discussed the potential of chemical recycling as a game changer in the industry. It was an engaging and informative conversation, I think. I hope you agree. And here it is. So, Emily, uh, in the conversation I had last month with your colleague Joseph Chang on resin pricing trends, the word volatile came up an awful lot. Has anything changed? What's your take on the polyethylene, polypropylene pricing trends in April? Yeah, Norbert. So, as we all know, um, crude continues to be very volatile, so still using that word to this day. And because of those prices, uh, things in the virgin PE and PP market are equally uh, affected. I will say in April, there were quite a few price increases on the table in virgin polyethylene and polypropylene, though in April polyethylene did settle flat. Uh, and now buyers and producers are looking towards May, which has its own price increase initiatives on the table. Um, so still looking towards the future this month, maybe was a brief reprieve, uh, but that doesn't secure you know, any uh, reprieve in, in the coming months. I will say to, oh, sorry, go for it. No, no, go right ahead. Go right ahead. I was just going to add to that. I know polyethylene has been experiencing some export difficulties and those persist. uh, But just based on the global situation, uh, U.S. polyethylene is still very much cost advantaged uh, in comparison to our European or Asian counterparts. And that's even incentivized some market activity in those regions, trying to gain some market share there. Oh, interesting. Uh, so, yeah, you mentioned uh, price increases in May. Uh, any other thoughts on what we might see uh, coming this month? Yeah, I think people are still really looking towards what the overall trend is going to be uh, in relation to inflation and potential demand destruction. Um, so, uh, as we saw, the Fed is taking some very serious actions to try to curb inflation. Uh, and we'll see in the coming weeks and months how that impacts the consumer markets and then thus consumer demand. So, some larger uh, pieces at play. It's hard to say you know, how those will eventually trickle down to the polyethylene or polypropylene markets. And then overall, I will also add that logistics has still kind of persisted and is expected to continue to be challenging in May. Talking, you know, fuel surcharging, we've also heard of a lot of rail congestion and even some producers being forced to limit uh, shipped volumes in order to clear up some of the rail congestion. So that will also be at play in May. So unpredictable and perhaps volatile. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like this is the new normal, would you say? (laughs) So, Emily, your your specialty at ICIS uh, is reporting on recycled plastics. So so let's pivot to that topic a little bit. Um, Can you give us the lay of the land in terms of pricing and availability uh, of recycled uh, materials vis-a-vis virgin resins? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, as you know, I am the senior uh, editor for Recycled Plastics covering the Americas here at ICIS. And so historically, recycled resin was used as a cost-sensitive substitution from virgin. So people used it because it was a, a cheaper material that they could put into maybe low-value applications. Uh, but now, some grades of recycled resins do garner a premium in comparison to their virgin counterparts. And that's really 
you know, come about because of a lot of sustainability-driven demand. So we've seen big uh, consumer brand companies make very ambitious uh, targets to reach a post-consumer recycled content amount in their plastic packaging. We've also seen legislation come about that requires a certain amount of, uh, we'll call it PCR material and in, in packaging forms. And so with paired with that demand, we haven't really seen an increase in supply or collection. You know, remember recycled resin comes from uh, consumers doing their part and returning that back into the value chain. And so when you have those two things paired, really high demand, low collection, what you've seen is prices really increase, again, in those specific grades where you're seeing a lot of that sustainability demand. So for example, in the US, uh, our pet has been maintaining a premium, oh, sorry, our pet being recycled PET, has been maintaining a premium since 2019 to virgin PET. And then here in the US, even to this day, that premium is sitting closer to maybe 17%. Whereas in Europe, we're seeing even more dramatic numbers, closer to maybe 44% uh, that spread again between virgin and recycled PET. And so time will, will continue to tell, you know, how the two virgin and recycled interact. But I will say they are largely being decoupled from each other um, in terms of price influence and operating on their own market principles. Right. Um, that's pretty amazing. 44%, you said, huh? Wow. Yes. Staggering. Right. Yeah. Um, so I understand, uh, and you've, you've kind of uh, addressed this already, that demand is increasing for several grades of recycled polyethylene. Um, but maybe um, uh, tell us what's driving that, what impact it's having on pricing, and, and how it compares with recycled PET, as, as, as you also mentioned earlier. Yeah, so kind of retouching on some of those commitments that we talked about, just to pull in some specifics. I mean, we have the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, the Global Commitment, which again is a global organization and a global pledge pulling in some of the world's largest consumer brand companies. We also have the U.S. Plastics Pact, and they have a 30% PCR or bio-based goal. Um, and so locally and globally, we're seeing demand on all fronts due to these commitments that people have made. So it's definitely increasing the demand. And sometimes these commitments are, are for timelines in the span of by 2025, which is very soon. I mean, we're already halfway through 2022. So that leaves us, you know, two and a half years until we reach that. And then others are maybe on the longer span, say 2030 or 2040. Um, but what you see with these is the demand is going to be here for a, a while. Again, the, the timeframes are not just this year, but over the next decade. Uh, but what we're really waiting for, you know, is that supply to catch up. And I will say, when we compare recycled polyethylene versus recycled uh, PET, the recycled PET uh, collection infrastructure and even processing infrastructure is a little bit more mature, I would say, uh, just because you, you have things like bottle bills in place where you can collect used PET bottles. Um, and so maybe they're ahead of the curve, but as we've seen this year with resin pricing, that doesn't mean they are being any less impacted uh, by this supply shortage, and that's really pushed up their prices. Right. And obviously, as you said, these trends are continuing and will continue for years, if not decades. Um, I, I understand you've um, or ICIS has launched um, uh, um, some coverage of a recycled pea, uh, polyethylene. Um, you're doing a weekly. Is it a newsletter or a publication or what is it exactly? Yeah, that's correct. So I've actually just started up two different commodity services, one for recycled PET and one for recycled polyethylene. They are both weekly market reports that include pricing information as well as general commentary. And, and the wonderful thing is, you know, this isn't just a, a U.S. thing. 
the move towards sustainability is global. And so I sit on a global team with counterparts both in Europe and Asia, and we're able to kind of exchange market trend information, what we're seeing. Uh, and because it is a global market, you know, I talk to folks who trade to both the United States and to Europe or who ship material from Asia into the U.S. market. Um, so it's been a lot of fun getting these two products off the ground and going and would love to uh, talk to anyone who's interested in learning a little bit more. And myself, I'm still learning. So would love to uh, uh, glean some information from anyone who would like to talk. Well, congratulations on that project. That sounds great. And in the uh, introduction to this podcast, I'll be sure to add a link for any readers who are interested in, in subscribing or learning more about it. Um, finally, I, I did want to ask you before you go uh, about chemical recycling. Um, we've been hearing a lot about it of late and for good reason, as it has the potential to recycle many types of plastics that are currently difficult to recycle mechanically. So a couple of questions about that. Um, can you give us an overview of where this technology is at, how much is being invested and when it might reach critical mass? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, so my counterparts on our ICIS analyst team cover recycled plastics supply as well. And according to the ICIS chemical recycling supply tracker, the U.S. has around 1 million tons per year of input capacity uh, with active recycling operations at this moment. And those are both pilot and commercial scale operations. Now, this is expected to grow up to 5 million tons by 2025, so very steep and rapid uh, scaling. I will say right now, largely the technologies are split between thermal or chemical depolymerization. So think pyrolysis for something like methanolysis, but the future capacity is largely going to be th that thermal uh, depolymerization, a lot of pyrolysis facility announcements. In terms of the forward looking, many experts still estimate it will take another five to 10 years for this technology to reach true commercial scale. But I, I think within the next two years, we're gonna see if the bulk of these announcements, which have 2023 commission start dates for the facilities, if they come to fruition. And that's going to be really telling for the future of the industry. Right now, the main barrier to scaling this technology is the access and affordability of feedstock material. And that's kind of what I've been hearing uh, from some boots on the ground. Chemical recycling operations, they've been applauded for using, you know, the hard to recycle waste, which is great. Um, and that means that they are in collaboration with mechanical recyclers rather than chemical recycler, rather than uh, in competition with chemical recyclers. I'm sorry, <laughs> I think I got this back. So more or less, yeah, chemical recyclers are collaborating with uh, mechanical recyclers rather than being in competition with them. But the issue with hard to recycle plastic waste is it's a stream that hasn't been traditionally collected. Uh, we don't have a, a large built up infrastructure to support collection of this hard to recycle waste, think film. And then we also don't have the consumer behaviors uh, to support that collection. You know, the, the you and I's of the world don't necessarily know that folks want, you know, this wrap that we're throwing away in our trash bins. And then I think there's also this perception that chemical recycling facilities can take trash and turn it into treasure. And, and while that is true to some extent, it definitely comes at a cost. You know, low quality material with high levels of contamination, uh, it will lower your product yield and it can be very difficult to process even through chemical means. You know, so as a materials and corrosion engineer in a past life at a petrochemical operation, I know firsthand about equipment reliability and the effect that uh, your feedstocks can have or whatever you're running through your equipment can have on, you know, maintenance costs downline. 
But there is a lot of good work in this space. And each month we're seeing new collaborations, new partnerships being announced, uh, both from you know city organizations, from chemical recyclers, um, even from chemical recyclers partnering with mechanical recyclers uh, to help boost the supply into this uh, pipeline. But we definitely have a ways to go. Right. Um, yes, and we'll be keeping an eye on that because, like I say, we hear a lot of talk about it. Certainly, press releases almost on a daily basis. So, um, yes. Um, well, uh, that's that should take care of uh, our um, our um, resident report for this month. Uh, it's been a great conversation, Emily. Thanks for sharing your expertise. Yeah, happy to do so. All right. Bye for now. Bye. Uh, thank you. <laughs>